Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, good whatever it is to you. Welcome to the J. King Show on KBLA Talk 1580. My name is J. King, and I got a good one for you. After doing the album, uh, um, after doing the Sparkle album with Aretha Franklin and Curtis Mayfield, I uh, I was compelled to do more music shows. I just felt like it was interesting enough. There are so many stories that we don't know uh, that I wanted to give you some factual stories about some incredible music. And today it won't be any different. As a matter of fact, the album that we're going to discuss today is the most influential album ever recorded in the history of the music business. Not black history, not pop history, not jazz or blues or gospel, all of music. This record is number one. So says Rolling Stone magazine. But I think it would be hard-pressed for anybody to argue the point once, you, once I tell you the name of this album and artist. My name is Jay King. I am the president and CEO of the California Black Chamber. I am the leader and founder of the group Club Nouveau. I am a radio show host here in Los Angeles at KBLA Talk 1580 and also in Sacramento, California at 97.5 FM KDEE, and I do a podcast Monday through Friday on the jkingnetwork.com from 8 to 10 a.m., and I just happen to love to talk a lot. I love information, and I love music. I'm also a community activist who loves humanity, and I work towards us being better at being humans and being kinder as mankind. So music is the only language, it's the only art form that can jettison you back in time just because you heard a certain note or melody or song and right when it hits you, it hits you someplace that makes you go back in time. You won't see an old basketball game or football game or basketball game that does that to you. You won't read an old book. You won't see an old movie. You won't see an old friend. But you'll hear some old music that can literally jettison you back in time. And the record we're going to talk about today, for certain, has done that for most, if not all of us. To tell you how old I am, I keep referring to it as a record. So you know I'm an oldie but goodie. But the record, the stream, the download, the eight-track cassette, the cassette tape, whatever you want to call it, is Marvin Gaye and the What's Going On album. Released on May 21st, 1971, 52 years ago, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On album continues to be talked about, played, marveled over, and discussed. Today, we're going to tell you how you almost never heard Masterpiece on this show today show you how Barry Gordy, the genius behind Motown, almost got this one wrong. And when I say wrong, I mean all the way wrong. Well, Barry Gordy told Marvin Gaye, if you release this record, you're going to destroy your career. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And as we all know, and we all found out, not only was he wrong, he was dead wrong. Marvin Gaye's 
What's Going On album, the greatest body of work, the most influential body of work ever produced and recorded will be our discussion today. My name is Jay King. You're tuned into The Jay King Show at KBLA Talk 1580. And when I come back, we're going to get into the story. Cool, that works. How long was that? Uh, about four minutes, five minutes. Mm. Good. We got ten minutes. Okay, so we got ten minutes? All right. Yeah, starting with Mercy Me getting into What's Happening, Brother? Nope, starting. Don't, don't go into What's Happening, Brother. Just... We started with Mercy, Mercy Me, come back to another part of Mercy, Mercy Me. Okay. Okay. So we want to stay right there. Cool. Anytime. Okay. It's the J. King Show at KBLA Talk 1580. My name is J. King. Today we're discussing the Marvin Gaye What's Going On album and the stories behind it, what really took place. So in 1969, Obie Benson, who is an original member of um, the Four Tops, is on tour. And on their tour, and this is um, May of 1969. So while they're on tour, they stop in San Francisco. And they were at a place called People's Park, famous park, and um in Berkeley, and there are protesters probably protesting the Vietnam War and the Berkeley police, and it became a violent encounter where the cops were beating on these kids because kids in America were being sent overseas to fight in the Vietnam War. So they're shipping us to Vietnam, or young people. Cops are beating on us here. Obi Benson is on a tour bus looking out at this scene, and he says, what the fuck is going on? And so he started writing this song, What's Going On? But he wrote it with a question mark. And so he pitched the song, to his bandmates in the four tops. And when he brought the song to them, they said, no, it's too political and it's too folky. And so they turned the song down. Now the four tops go on tour in the UK, and they're going to appear on a British TV show called Top of the Pop. So before they taped the show, Obi Benson started chatting, chatting with um, Joan Baez. Joan Baez is a folk singer. So after his guys rejected the song and said it was too folky, he thought, hmm, I'll give it to Joan Baez. He played it for her. She was in her dressing room, and she said, nope, I don't like it. So now... You fast forward to the mid-1970s, and um, Obi, he, he try, he's trying to get the song right, so he works with a lyricist named Al Cleveland. And so he and Al get a chance to play it for Marvin Gaye. They track Marvin Gaye down on the golf course, and um, Marvin Gaye loved the song but not for him. Marvin wanted to cut the, the song for a group he was working with, a group he was producing called The Originals. He'd written a song for them and recorded a song called Baby I'm For Real. And this was another song he thought would work for them. But Obi Vincent said, nah, I ain't giving you the song unless you sing it. So he was so convinced that Marvin was the guy. He said, Marvin is the only person that could sing this song. So he said, Marvin, I'll give you a percentage of the songwriting, 
if you will record the song and put do what Marvin does on it. So Marvin was married to Anna Gordy. Anna Gordy is the sister of Barry Gordy. Now, when Marvin and Anna first married, um, Marvin was 24 years old, and Anna was 41. So Marvin is now um, 30, 31 years old. So he's not the little kid that he was at 24, but Anna had a lot of influence over Marvin. And Anna is the one who tells Marvin, this is a perfect song for you. And so Marvin started working on the lyrics, started working on the melody, as uh, Obi Benson said. We measured him for the suit, and he tailored the hell out of it. And Marvin Gaye took what's going on and made it into the masterpiece that you and I listen to today. But that's not the end of the story. Because once Marvin had recorded the song, they played it for Barry Gordy. As a matter of fact, Barry Gordy was on vacation in the Bahamas. And Marvin was so excited about the song that, uh, and the fact that he was, he had this protest album that he wanted to connect to the song. He didn't just want to do just this one song. He wanted to connect a protest album to this song, What's Going On. And Barry Gordy, on vacation, says, Marvin, why do you want to ruin your career? And Marvin Gaye and Barry Gordy began a clash, a clash that lasted a year. Marvin Gaye would not record unless Barry Gordy allowed him to make his protest album. Barry Gordy was not going to allow Marvin Gaye to record this protest album because he felt that Marvin Gaye would destroy his career as a sex symbol and the prince of R&B music. So Barry Gordy and his quality control panel at Motown were against what's going on from the beginning. They never liked it. But there's one man who did like it. His name was Harry Balk. And Harry Balk is the sole reason that what's going on saw the light of day. So one day Balk, who's an executive in the creative department, he received an acetate pressing of what's going on by mistake. So an acetate before a record is um, manufactured, back then when you had vinyl, they would make this acetate. And the acetate was a thick um, album. It, was, it had aluminum in the middle and then vinyl on the top, and they could only play so many times it would wear out. But what they would do is they would make the acetate to see how the record sounded. It was a cheap way to do it. And then... From there, they would make a mother. The mother would make the stampers, and the stampers would make the vinyl that you bought. So Harry Balk ends up with an acetate, but he's not supposed to have one. He gets it by mistake. And it was supposed to be going to quality control. But Balk fell in love with the song. And once he found out that Quality Control said no to the track, he was super disappointed. And the only other person at Motown who loved the song as much as Bulk was Stevie Wonder. 
So Bob tried to go to Barry Gordy himself. He tried. He thought that he had enough juice that he could go to Barry, and Barry would understand and tell him to go for it. But Barry said no. And so Marvin has his hands folded, and he refuses to record another note for Motown until what's going on is released. So Motown is trying to get Marvin to get back to work. So Balt spoke to the quality control behind Barry Gordy's back. And without his knowledge, Harry Balk got Barney Ailes, who was the vice president of sales, to press up 100,000 singles. And on January 17, 1971, the song was sent out to radio. And DJs heard that record. And from the first time they heard it, they loved it. They played it for the public. The public loved it. And Motown sold all 100,000 copies of the song that shipped on January 17, 1971, by January 21st of that same year. Four days. 100,000 singles gone and 100,000 more ordered. What's going on? became the fastest-selling single in Motown history. And it was all because of one man's determination, Terry Balk. So now, what's going on successful? And Barry Gordy has to now get Marvin Gaye to record an album, and that is going to be the next test because Marvin ain't feeling Barry, and Barry is needing some Marvin. When we come back, we're going to talk about how Barry Gordy got Marvin Gaye to record the What's Going On album. My name is Jay King, and you're tuned into the Jay King Show at KBLA Talk 1580. We'll be right back. How long was that, Mike? That was good. That was 10 minutes. The perfect. Okay, I thought that. It felt like 10 minutes. Yeah, so we have a, I messed up the time. Okay. So 10 more minutes. Okay. Then you'll have a 9, a 4, and a 4. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So let me ask you guys. Some of the other songs on the album. I'm gonna do it. Let me. Can, can I do? What the fuck I'm doing? Or are you? Are you J King Junior now? Wow. Huh? We gotta make it magic. Okay. Okay. So so we gotta tell the story, Mike. You gotta you gotta let me tell the story. I, I got. You said I got nine. You you said I got ten. Ten, nine, and four. And four and, four. and two fours, right? Yes. So you think I know how to tell a story? No, I didn't say that. I said, do you think I know how to tell a story? I know how to tell a story. I know how to tell a story. Of course you do. Okay. Yeah. So um, you ready? We're back with the J. King Show on KBLA Talk 1580. We're discussing the Marvin Gaye What's Going On album, the story behind it, an album that almost never saw the light of day except that um, Barry Gordy is being sabotaged by his own company, <laughs> his own executive, because they don't agree with him. And thank God they don't. Because they didn't, they were able to put what's going on out behind his back, and now they have the biggest-selling single record in the history of the company. And now Barry Gordy has to eat crow. So guess what happens? Barry Gordy has to go see Marvin Gaye. 
So he drives over to Marvin Gaye's house. And when he drives to his house, he has to figure out how is he going to get Marvin to record a whole album when he just told Marvin that he was going to throw away his career with the What's Going On single. So Marvin Gaye, because Marvin's a peculiar guy, he um, he's irked by Barry Gordy because Barry Gordy had actively tried to stop his song from being released. And now Barry is at his house trying to get him to write a whole album to release it. So Marvin and Barry had a very strange relationship. They loved each other. They respected each other. Always the ego fight between them. But Barry understood Marvin probably more than Barb than Marvin understood Barry. So Barry outsmarts Marvin. And he figures out a way to get music out of Marvin. And what he does is he makes a bet with him. For an undisclosed amount of money, Barry says, I bet you can't record this album in 30 days. And Marvin, being the competitive person that he is, and marching wit and his ego up against Barry's, says, yes, I can. And now the bet is on. So from March 17th, 1971, Marvin Gaye had sessions, 12-hour sessions sometimes just for vocals on one song, 16, 18-hour sessions, recording at midnight, ending at dawn. Mixes were done, and then they were remixed. Master tapes were flown across the continent. Marvin Gaye flew across the country to fulfill an acting commitment, while at the same time adding to the songs, even until the last minute before the final mix. And Marvin Gaye delivered the album just under the 30 days, which made him win the bet with Barry Gordy. There were so many different parts to this Marvin Gaye album. See, this album separated Marvin Gaye from the finishing schools that the other Motown artists had to go through. This album changed Marvin Gaye's image from a very styled, manicured young man to a a grown-up. He grew his beard. He started wearing casual attire. He started wearing hoodies and denim and funky tracksuits. He also started making fashion statements. He started to wear uh, the, the knit torch and the hats. And a lot of his fans copied him um, because they thought it was a fashion statement. But really, it was he wore those things to cover up the ball spot at the top of his head. So the album's rhythm section was cut in 10 days in the snake pit. And um, Marvin Gaye would go down with the the musicians. He would leave the rhythm section. He'd play the piano um, instead of producing from behind the glass and looking at them. He would be inside the the studio with them playing and um, and recording the, the record. Marvin Gaye also decided that he wasn't going to use the same musicians that Motown used. Um, he wanted to use a different set of musicians. So he... Um, 
didn't use the usual drummer from the Funk Brothers. Instead, he he got Chet Forrest, brought him in. He also went heavy on percussions, so he used um, Eddie Brown. Eddie Brown was a former valet to Marvin Gaye. He used Earl Duroin on Kungas and, and Bonvilles. He used Jack Brokensha on Vibes and, and Jack Ashford on Tambourines. And then he, what he did was he would cherry pick certain funk brothers and not others. And so a lot of people had a little attitude with him about it. These sessions were going to be fun, less pop-focused, and they were going to be closer to the freedom of the jazz music that they all wanted to play. And so the album became two seamless suites of music, side one and side two, rather than individual tracks. So if you're listening to the record, you know that the records go from one to the other, seamless. So what's going on flows into what's happening, brother. What's happening, brother, streams into flying high on the friendly sky, flying high to save the children, to God is love, to mercy, mercy me. And that was just side A. On side two, because right on was seven minutes and 15 seconds, and holy, holy was three minutes, and then inner city blues was five minutes and 30 seconds. They were long songs. And in order for a groove on a piece of vinyl to really maintain that fat, warm sound, you didn't want any side of a record to have more than 16 minutes on it. 16 minutes was pushing it. And so Marvin made two suites of music using jazz musicians and musicians that, and some of the, the Motown guys that they normally wouldn't use. And he wanted James Jamerson. James Jamerson was a, a key funk brother. And if there was one person that he wanted, that's who he wanted to play bass. So Marvin followed Jamerson down to a blues club in, in, in Detroit, and he was playing with a band. And so Marvin Gaye got him off the stage, got him back to the studio. But James Jamerson was so intoxicated that he kept falling off his stool. So James Jamerson lay flat on his back to lay down the bass riffs that were written out for him by the arranger, David Van de Pitti, or Van de Pitt. The fluidity of Jamerson's bass is often credited to his state during the recording. So when he got home from that recording session, that night, for the track, What's Going On, Jamerson told his wife he just finished cutting a classic. So he knew even then when he first cut What's Going On, what he was in store for. And that's why Marvin was able to get him back to come and do the whole album. The record that almost wasn't made by the recording artist who almost wasn't going to record again because of the record executive who almost missed the biggest record of his career almost didn't happen with the bass player who was the greatest bass player of all times, arguably by most. We're talking about the What's Going On album, Marvin Gaye's masterpiece, recorded over 50 years ago, and the brilliance still blares from our stereo. My name is Jay Keen. And you're tuned into the J. King Show at KBLA Talk 1580.
How was that? I can hear it. How many? How, um, let's say an eight-minute segment here. Can we go eight, four, and four? Yeah. Okay. Okay. You ready? Yes, sir. It's the J. King Show at KBLA Talk 1580. J. King here. And we're talking about the Marvin Gaye What's Going On album and just all of the different obstacles and twists and turns that brought us this beautiful body of music. You know, when you listen to the record, you would think that it was seamless, that they went into the studio, that they were very uh, manicured on what they were doing and how they were going to put this together because it seemed like you would have to be to, to take two suites of music um, and put them together the way they did. But that's not what happened. There were, there were a lot of moving parts. There were a lot of probabilities. There were a lot of things that could have went wrong. On the What's Going On album, it is filled with, with sex, full of love but without lust. Uh, the love is spiritual. The love is deep and it's, a, it's available to all of us. That's what we hear. We're hearing the love of the music. But in order for Marvin to get himself in a pure headspace to sing, Marvin Gaye would seclude himself in a locked room and he would masturbate for hours. So when he stepped up to the microphone, he would be free from sexual tension, and he would let God flow through him and commit his voice to tape, knowing the words he sang were coming from a place of purity. That is how deep Marvin was as a creative. Another thing that happened on this record that would change Marvin's whole style was the layering of his vocals. His ability to back his own voice and to harmonize with himself over and over again. But this didn't happen on purpose. This happened by chance. So one day Marvin was asking his engineer, Ken Sands, to record his lead vocal. And what, and what we do is we, you'll do different lead vocal takes on different tracks, and he was doing that for the song What's Going On. And then what they would do is they would listen back and then compare which one they liked better than the other. So the idea was to play them alternately. So he would hear one, and then he would hear the other, and then he would pick his favorite choice. But Ken Sands accidentally played both vocal tracks together. And when Marvin heard the vocal tracks playing together, he loved it. He loved how his vocal double sounded. And so he decided to keep that unintentional duet, if you will, and use it on the record. So he would use the accidental double track, and he started doing it for the whole album. And then he started doing it for the rest of his career. And that is what created the Marvin Gaye sound. And if you go back to any album before what's going on, you will hear Marvin pre-what's going on and post-what's going on. And you will hear the difference and his vocals. Another thing that happened is that the alto saxophone riff that opens the album, and it was the first and only take. Uh, the musician was Eli Fontaine. And Eli Fontaine was just noodling around in the studio, and he was warming up before the session. So then he signaled to the booth um, that he was ready for the take. Um, and when he motioned for them that he was ready, pressed the button and said, hey, you can go home. 
because Marvin Gaye had been recording him while he was warming up. And Marvin heard the riff that he needed for the song. So now Marvin and Fontaine are arguing because Fontaine doesn't want to go home. And he tells Marvin, look, I'm just goofing around. So Marvin told him, you goof exquisitely. Thanks. You're done. Because Marvin decided not to spoil the perfection of the riff by having it appear anywhere else in the song. And it became one of the album signature features. So there were a lot of things that happened. When you start listening to what's going on, the original mix of what's going on, which was released um, as a single on January 21st, it was released to radio on January 17th, shipped out 100,000 units, but the release date that they give it is January 21st when Barry releases the second 100,000 units. But it has two main mix, main differences to the mix on the album. What's going on, the single doesn't have any of the chatter at the beginning. You know how in the beginning when it go, what's up, man, how you doing? That's not on the single. Um, and it has a false fade at the end where it's um, at the stage of the final mix, the song is starting to fade out. Um, but Marvin put his hand on the fader and cranked the volume back up to full. And so a lot of people said that this was Marvin against Barry Gordy because Barry Gordy had been less supportive of Gay's new musical direction, and the false musical end was the middle finger. It was Marvin's sly way of saying, you think this song you hate is over? Well, guess again. So Marvin Gaye, what's going on, changed Motown forever. When we come back, I'm going to tell you how and for who. You're tuned into the J. King Show at KBLA Talk 1580. We'll be right back. You, how was that, Mike? How many minutes? Okay, good. Got it. Yeah. How many minutes was I? Was I ten? I felt uh, like I was eight. I, I felt like I was eight. Perfect. I felt like I was eight. Okay. So you ready? Do, do you have a story about um, inner city blues? Um. No, just but I, I, I what's happening, brother? I got a story about what's happening, brother. Okay. Cool. All right. All right. And mercy me if you got mercy me. I I have a story about what's happening, brother. Good, that's good. All right, all right, Jay, you're on. Okay. You're tuned into the Jay King Show on KBLA Talk fifteen eighty. I hope you guys are enjoying um the what's going on story, the story behind the music. And Marvin didn't create what's going on. He did not uh he wasn't in the beginning of it. He wasn't in the middle of it. He was at the end of it, and then he made it over again into what would fit him. But Marvin had a real connection to what's going on because he had a brother, Frankie, who had been in the Vietnam War for three years. And the song, What's Happening, Brother?, came directly out of a conversation that Marvin had with his younger brother, Frankie. See, Marvin had been in the military before. He was in the Air Force and was kicked out. So Marvin couldn't go back to Vietnam, so his younger brother ended up going instead of him. And the song came out of the conversation with Frankie, and it was partly atonement because Marvin never answered any of his brother's letters that he sent from Vietnam. So he answered them in the song. And even though he'd been in the Air Force briefly, 
The closest Marvin came to Vietnam was when he played an American GI on a made-for-TV movie. But he had a cousin also named Marvin, and he was killed in Vietnam in November of 1968, the same month that I heard it through the grapevine was riding high on a charge. Marvin, the soldier's body, was being flown home. The symbolism, the symbolism wasn't wasted on the Marvin who survived. In the song, um, What's Happening, Brother, in the line, Will Our Ball Club Win the Pennant? Do You Think They Have a Chance? was complete, was, uh, was, um, was improvised in the studio by Marvin. Because it was the kind of question that a American GI who was coming back from war would ask somebody, you know, a question about everyday life. The ball club Marvin Gaye was singing about was the Detroit Tigers. And in 1968, Marvin had sung the national anthem at Tiger Stadium during game four of the World Series. Jackie Robinson was in attendance, and the Tigers took the series from the Cardinals in seven games. In 1970, just before the song What's Going On came out, or should I say, I'm sorry, in 1970, in the spring of 1970, just before the song What's Going On came dropped in his lap, Marvin Gaye wanted nothing more than to be a professional football player. He was happy to give up singing. Marvin Gaye didn't want to sing anymore. And he told his brother, Frankie, I'd rather catch a pass and score a touchdown in Tiger Stadium than rack up another gold record. But Marvin was 31 years old and trying out for an NFL team without experience. But it didn't stop him from giving a shot, and he was given a real tryout, even though he wasn't invited to the Lions training camp. And the coach of the Lions at the time, Joe Smith, was worried that one of America's national treasures would get terribly injured on the field and never sing again, and that he'd be to blame. So the, the chance to just play a little was enough for Marvin Gaye. The time away from music, the exercise, the discipline got him ready for the creative process of making an album like what's going on. And, uh, you know, Marvin would eventually try to be a boxer, and sometimes he'd come to the recording studio for what's going on with a split lip, bruised jaw. And Marvin Gaye, would, um, to the day he died, I think, see himself as more than a singer and look for different elements to participate in other than music. Now, Mike, um, how how long do I have here? I'm out because I think I went too long. Yes, two minutes, two and a half. Did I go too long there? I think I went more longer than four minutes. Yeah, a little bit, but that's fine. Okay, so we'll put it someplace else too. Okay, so um, okay, um. So I want to talk about a few other songs real quick, and then I'm going to let you edit how you want to edit, okay? Okay, yeah. Okay. So I just want to talk about some of the songs, um, songs like Flying High in the Friendly Sky and God is Love, because those two songs are written by Marvin Gaye and his wife, Anna. And then he brings in his confidant, L.G. Stover, who they nicknamed the Curse Out Man over at Motown. Because if the company needed to tear a strip off somebody, if they wanted to tear in somebody's ass, they'd send Stover over, uh, give him a couple of drinks, and he cursed the mess out of them. L.G. Stover, in his later life, became a caterer for President Bill Clinton. And he was one of uh, Marvin Gaye's most trusted associates. He contributed to the vocal chatter at the beginning of What's Going On. His voice opens the album. Stover is heard asking, hey, what's happening, man? That's him. That's L.G. Stover. And then he adds in the very groovy line um, later on where he says, everything is everything. So 
Flying High in the Friendly Skies and God is Love are written by Marvin Gaye and Anna Gaye with L.G. Stover. What's Going On's third song on side one was called Flying High in the Friendly Skies. And its title was Tongue in Cheek. It was a reference to a slogan that United Airlines used to use, flying in the friendly sky. Marvin added high, and literally the song is about a junkie addicted to heroin. So at this time in his career, Marvin hadn't started to use drugs as heavily as he would later on. He was just a recreational drug user. He wasn't a slave to the drug. He wasn't a slave to the cocaine addiction that he would be in the 70s, that they were the latter part of the 70s. And um, Gay, in a lot of ways, prophesied his own future. In one part, he had a lyric, I know I'm hooked, my friend, to the boy who makes slaves out of men. Boy was a slang for heroin. The song was originally called Sad Tomorrow." And it was mixed and recorded a year earlier and used as a B-side for the single Mercy, Mercy Me, The Ecology. So a lot of the sounds and a lot of uh, the recording sessions, um, they there was some really um, experimental things that uh, that Marvin would do, where he would try to get different sounds, and he would um, he would experiment with cardboard and 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 uh, garbage pails to make different sounds. So Marvin Gaye. Uh, did things outside of the Motown, um, what would you call it, assembly line. He did things outside of the assembly line. Um, On Mercy, Mercy Me, there was a piece of equipment that uh, Marvin Gaye found that the Sound Factory Studio. It's called a Mellotron. And you can hear it tagged at the very end of Mercy, Mercy, Me. And Marvin Gaye added the instrument to the master tapes without anyone knowing, not even the engineers. There's another sound on the song that Jack Ashford played, a long tubular wooden block during the song with his hand cupped over a hole in the hollow block. And so Ashford achieved a tremendous echo, a sound that Marvin had been searching for. So soon after recording the album, Ashford lost the one-of-a-kind block, meaning um, this specific echo would exclusively belong to Marvin Gaye's masterpiece. And on the song Right On, there's a prominent flute part on the track. And um, it was performed by a sax player named Thomas Beans Bowles, who was called into the studio by Gay, and, 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 you know, they were trying to, it was in the middle of the night. Um, and, and they, um, and they did the part. That's what the story is. But that is not the true story. The true story is there's a little teenage girl named Dana Hardwick. At the time, she was 13, and she was recruited from an amateur Detroit park band while she was still a teenager. And she was called in to play the flute on the What's Going On sessions. And she was the only female musician in the band. And so she had recorded some flute parts during the day. But Marvin called her back to the studio that night 
to perform a solo on the track. He wanted a jazz sound. But Hardwick was classically trained, and she never played jazz, so she gave it her best try. After the session, she was really unhappy with what she played, so she didn't listen to the track until years later. And when a friend asked her about it, she was pleasantly surprised when she finally played it back. There are so many beautiful songs, so many things I could talk about on this this record, but I would take up more than the allotted time that I have to do this show. And because of that, um, I will talk about these things, but um, you will have to hear them on my podcast, and you will have to go to iHeartRadio.com or iHeartRadio app, go to the iHeartRadio app, and download the app, and then search for The Jay King Show, and then follow me, and you can listen to the rest of the show there. This show is sponsored by Highlands Community Charter School. If you're 22 years or older without a high school diploma, Highlands Community Charter School is where you ought to be. Not only will they help you earn your high school diploma, they'll help you find a career pathway, and it doesn't cost a dime. Just time and effort. 916-844-2283 is the number. 916-844-2283. And remember, it's never too late to get your life in order. I want to talk to you about Holy Holy. So Holy Holy um, was originally spelled H-O-L-Y-O-L-Y. But right before they released the album, Marvin changed it to W-H-O-L-Y, H-O-L-Y. And because Marvin had been a huge fan of wordplay, and he felt a lot of, he got great pleasure altering the song's meaning with a simple W. The song is the spiritual heart of the album's second side. It features a beautiful string arrangement, performed by the string section of the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. Van Peep arrangements permeate the whole album. Those, the strings are what's beautiful. It gave it uh, a distinct sound. It separated it from the Motown sound, that we, the manufactured sound that we've become accustomed to. Um, Van Peep's um, contribution to the album was so much so that he was given credit on the album cover. And that's the first time in Motown history. Uh, he was the Nelson Riddle to Marvin Gaye's Frank Sinatra. What Nelson Riddle did for Frank Sinatra, David Van Pitt did for Marvin Gaye. And um, they would also work together on the Let's Get It On Out. Another um, idea um, around what's going on that that was conceived in 1969 um, because the single was recorded in 1970, but by the time the record is released, it's May of 1971, and there's a slang on there um, that, you know, um, hippies with long hair, picket lines, protest signs, and then slangs like right on and what's happening, brother, they were almost cliché by the time Marvin Gaye um, would get to it, um, but he didn't change any of it. And then Marvin had another record that, that was going to come after what's going on. Uh, there was a song that he recorded in 1972 called You're the Man. And You're the Man mm-hmm. was touching, um, was more in touch with, with, with the time, so it it was critiquing people who were running for president in 1972. And it was acting as a call for people to use their votes wisely, while at the same time asking the candidates to earn those votes fairly. Unlike what's going on, you're the man had only mild success. It was um, of the time but it failed to inspire fans the same way what's going on did. 
So instead of releasing an album, Marvin Gaye um, shelved the You're the Man album. And he left politics and the politicians alone. And he never got involved in that kind of thought process again. So You're the Man is considered Marvin Gaye's lost album. And it was finally released to, to celebrate what would have been his 80th birthday on April 2nd, 2019. It was well received by critics and proved to be the missing link in Gay's catalog. So uh, I just want to tell you guys that Marvin Gaye's records um, have gotten stronger. His sales have gotten bigger. His, uh, his presence larger over the years. Uh, Marvin Gaye never won a Grammy until the Sexual Healing album. Marvin Gaye is the reason why uh, Stevie Wonder could make the um, Intervision album, the Talking Book record, the uh, music, uh, the music of My Mind record. It was because of Marvin that Stevie could be free. It was because of Marvin that Rick James could be free. It was because of Marvin that Tina Marie could create freely because Marvin Gaye proved that the Motown sound wasn't the only sound that Motown could create and be successful. This show, um, I'm sorry, um, I'm sorry. I'm gonna go right here. On September twenty, on September, in September of 2020, Rolling Stone magazine updated and revised its 2003 list of music's 500 greatest albums of all time. And the number one album on that new list was Marvin Gaye's "What's Going On." It had been number six on the original list. Uh, it was a diverse panel of musicians and writers who voted on the list. It was described and it described the record as Soul Music's first concept album and one of the most important and influential albums ever made. My name is Jay King, and you've been listening to the Jay King Show. On KBLA Talk 1580. Thank you, and I'll see you next week. How was that, Mike? Was good. Is there anything? Is there anything I need to clean up? What about? Uh, <laughs> what about? You got a story about Inner City Blues? <clears throat> I didn't really study different individual songs. Let me see. Let me see if I can find. What do you think about that song? Inner City Blues. Uh, I think Inner City Blues is a brilliant mixture of gospel, blues, jazz, soul, and pop music. Um, And and, um, about. Marvin Gaye's Inner City Blues. Um, I thought it was, I just thought that, I mean, even when I've been listening to the record, um, even when I, um, when I first, when I first um, heard this, that record, all of it, I used to listen to this record every day. I can tell you. So let me. So let, let me look at this right here. Oh. Good time. Is that all poverty, inner city? No. So so let me. So let me tell you. So James Nix Jr. Um, in 1998 said that Marvin had a good tune. It was sort of blues-like. 
but it didn't have any word for it. But we started putting stuff in there about how rough things were around town. We laughed about putting lyrics in about high taxes because both of us owed a lot. And we talked about how the government would send guys to the moon but not help folks in the ghetto. But we still didn't have a name or really a good idea of the song. Then I was home reading the paper one morning and saw a headline that says something about the inner city of Detroit. And I said, damn, that's it, inner city blues. The song was recorded in a mellow folk style with Marvin playing the piano. Several of the folk brothers also contributed, including Eddie Bongo Brown and bassist Bob Babbitt. In its unedited version, as it appears on the album, the final minute of the song and the LP is a reprise to the theme of what's going on. The album first song then segues into a dark ending. The final minute was cut off the single version as well as the other sections of the song. So the single edit runs under three minutes. And this is the edit that appears on most reissues of the album. Motown released Inner City Blues as a single on their Tamla record label on October 14, 1971. Record World predicted that it would be Gay's third single, third single, I'm sorry, Record World predicted that it would be Marvin Gaye's third smash single from the What's Going On album. The song helped Marvin Gaye make history by being one of the few artists to have three or more top ten songs off Billboard's pop singles chart, peaking at number nine, and one of the first to have three consecutive number one hits on Billboard's R&B singles chart, where it stayed for two weeks. Although not certified by the RIAA at the time, all three releases from What's Going On, the album, gained gold status by selling over 1 million copies in the United States. Um, unfortunately, um, um, oh, I'm sorry. okay, so I'll play the song. Uh, so I, they might cut me off after this because they don't, because we're not supposed to play music on Facebook, they'll cut me off. But I'm gonna play you a song from, from the album that, um, that I think um, this is this is you're the man, all right. This is from uh, hold on. This is you're the man. Another version of You're the Man that I like better. I think this is. Well, you've been talking, talking to